All right, would you pray with me as, um, as we welcome our speakers up here this morning? Dear Lord, you are so good. Look at the beauty outside, even as these, these leaves are turning from their gorgeous colors to brown and falling onto the ground. You just give us such beautiful temperatures. I pray that the sunshine and the warmth outside just gives us an extra um, glimpse into your majesty in your sovereignty. Thank you, Lord, for what you give us. Thank you for the space that we can come to gather freely, openly, to worship you, to learn more about you, to get to know you better. Thank you that we can have relationships with one another. Lord, I pray this morning for our speakers. I pray for Lori Schillinger. I pray for Andrea Gugliuzza, and I pray for Lisa Nierman. Lord, thank you for what you have laid on each of their hearts to share with us this morning. I know I am just here as a sponge, ready to soak up any wisdom these ladies have to share with us on parenting. <clears throat> Would you speak through them so clearly? Thank you also, Lord, for the child care workers and all those kids that are back in the rooms. Please keep them safe, protect them, and may they also just have such a fun morning together. Lord, everything that occurs this morning is to glorify you, and I pray the words from each of our mouths, the thoughts in our minds, the feelings in our hearts would just honor you, God. Would you just draw us closer to you, closer to you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray, amen. So um, it, rather than just me keep talking and introducing each of our speakers. I would like to have each of them as they come up. We have three speakers this morning. Our first speaker is Lori Schillinger. You want to come on up? And um, would you mind just telling us a little bit about you, your family, and then you can just move on into your, your topic. Also, quickly, on your tables, there are two forms. One has blue at the top, hearts and touch. That's for you to take notes. And then there are questions at the bottom for our discussion time. The other form on the front and back are notes for when Andrea speaks and Lisa. So you can reference those and take those with you. Thanks, Lori. So I'm Lori Schillinger, and um, my kids are 7th grader, 11th grader, and a 12th grader. So a little bit older, but I'm going to try to talk for more like elementary or younger age kids. So, and um, my husband works here at Parkview also. So, so Rachel asked me to talk um, about love and discipline. She goes, can you talk for like five or ten minutes about love and discipline? And at first I was thinking, so that's like five minutes on each or what? And then instantly, probably a lot of you guys are thinking like I was, like Hebrews 11. It's a whole chapter in the Bible that talks about how God disciplines the people he loves. So, like, clearly they totally go together. So here's a verse um, from Hebrews 11. It says, the Lord disciplines those he loves and he punishes anyone he accepts as his son. So, like, that is such a good example for us. If we are going to love our kids, we are going to have to discipline them. Like, the two just totally go together. And that's the same in a friendship. A bunch of you guys are my friends, and you know, like, if something's not right in my life, I want to hear it. And you know you're going to hear it if I see something, too. You know, that's just the way I think real love works. And this is why. It says, no discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. So then it's like, bring it on. Okay, so God does love and discipline perfectly. So obviously, if we want to do it well, we're going to be thinking how he does it. And I think for each one of us, that's different. Like, he's going to discipline me differently than he disciplines each one of you guys. Just like we have an overarching standard, probably each of us, for our families. But each kid, if you take something away from that kid, they're not going to care. But if you take it away from that kid, wow, they're like instant, you know, get it. So, but um, it would be cool if you guys have time just to reflect, like, how does God discipline me? How does he train me and teach me? Um, 
And then I think the more we learn that, the better we're going to be able to apply it to our kids. But there's three things I just want to talk about that he really clearly does for all of us. And the first is he has unconditional love while he's disciplining us. Unconditional. There is nothing that will ever separate us from his love. Nothing we can do or nothing that we don't do. Um, just nothing. It is forever. And I think as parents, at least so far in my life, that hasn't been incredibly hard to apply. Like, no matter what my kids do or don't do, they're mine. I love them. But just to make sure that as we're disciplining them, we're assuring them of that, just keep on telling them, I think that's a standard. So the hard part is how he unconditionally loves. And that's the patient and kind and um, always forgiving and really slow to anger. And that is really hard. I don't know if you guys are the same as me, but... I think a lot of you are, because I've gotten a lot of phone calls and given a lot of phone calls. I just yelled at my kid. What do I do? You know, like, it's really hard to apply that. Um, I know definitely the worst were a few times when, oh, my gosh, you guys are so crabby. What is your problem? And you're just so upset. And then the next day, like, they're sick. You're like, oh, total scum, you know? And I think the cool thing is that while we're learning how to discipline our kids, God is disciplining us at the same time. Like, it's never ending. And also, I think that's encouraging. Because then if I wasn't patient and kind today, tomorrow I can be a little bit better and a little bit better. And till the day I die, it will always be that way. So that relieves a lot of guilt and a lot of stress and maybe not any less few phone calls or texts or whatever, but still just knowing that it's a process. And I read this quote from Jerry Bridges just the other day, and it really helped me too. It says, the person who spends time with God radiates his glory in a manner that is always warm and inviting. Just like, wow, if you are with God, you're going to just be better. And if you're acting really cold and rude, obviously you're in the wrong spot. You know, So just to keep spending time with God and you're just going to become more like him. The second thing I love about God, love and gets frustrated with, is he will help me through the consequences. But he doesn't pick up the pieces for me. He doesn't allow me to justify or make excuses or pass blame. None of that kind of stuff. So he still makes me deal with my actions so that I can be changed. And as a parent, that can be really hard to do. If somebody is mean to my kid, I am going to bat for them. Way worse than if somebody were mean to me. But actually, um, I think the key is that God, when something like that happens, he reminds us that if we are upset about something, we're at least a part of that probably, even if we're only 10%. So I think just to help our kids get to the heart of the issue, why were you upset about that? You didn't want to share your toy? Do you think you don't have enough? Or just keep training and teaching the big picture, just like God does to us when we choose to go to him, just to get to the heart issue and to always make sure they see two sides. We have had so many conversations with our kids where, well, do you know what their home life is, life is like? Or do you know if they had a bad day? Just to try to see things from the other person's perspective is so helpful. And I, I'm sure there's a time and a place for parents to get involved. Um, but there have been a few times when other parents have gotten involved with our kids can tell you it's almost always bombed. Like they, they don't want to have anything to do with that later. And um, so it's just a really word of caution to help our kids through it, but not to mend it or fix it or make excuses with them, just to really help them and love them through it. Um, and then the third thing is that God expects instant obedience. So we have this thing in our house that delayed obedience is disobedience. And I don't mean like, at, you know, um, pick up your toys. Oh, like not, it's not like that. But just basically your heart is starting to turn towards doing what's right. And I think what's so important about that is that's the same for us now. Like if God tells us to do something and we make excuses or we go around and ask everybody else what to do or we start wondering, 
then we're going to miss opportunities and we're not going to hear his voice as clearly. And we're just going to develop different habits. We're going to become a lot more self-reliant. So what we try to teach the kids is that if you can obey us quickly, then when you're out of our authority, God is your authority and you're going to be able to obey him. And actually that's what really matters. And you know, our kids are at an age that if they think we're doing something wrong, let's just both pray about it. I mean, you know, but basically we are training them to just be ready to instantly follow God. And I think that's huge. And I think that's what God loves and wants from all of us. So part of that is just to remember too, that our role as being the loving disciplinarians is from God. And that's not always really fun, but that's something God has called us to do. So we've talked um, to our kids about, it's like God has put up an umbrella over us. So if God is an umbrella over me, basically his word and telling me what to do, I'm going to stay under that umbrella. Not to say that I'm in an easy life or anything, but at least I'm in a peaceful and God-driven life. And if I choose to disobey him because I'm afraid of what you think of me or what your friends think of me, or what your friend's parents think of me, then I'm stepping outside the umbrella, and that is not a cool place to be. Like, I'm, it makes me nervous, so I'm really sorry, but this is my job. And if you choose not to listen to me, there will be consequences, even apart from my consequences, there will, I can almost guarantee you, be consequences outside of that umbrella. So you're putting yourself in that spot. I mean, nobody wants to be there. They still choose that sometimes, but ideally nobody wants to be there. So, okay, then um, I'm just going to wrap up with this. The best thing is that when your kids become believers, all of this discipline stuff can change like 180 degrees because then they have the Holy Spirit inside of them. So while I'm still, Doug and I are still obviously disciplining and having consequences and conversations and training, I, I can so quickly say, have you prayed about it yet? You know, why don't you go pray? And then we'll talk, but usually the conversations have a whole nother bent and drive. Sometimes, I mean, still now that they're older, they'll text and say, what should I do? I'm just like, have you prayed about it? And they're like, mom, why did you have to tell me that? Because then they know, you know, but that is our goal as parents also is just to get them to train, to be listening to Jesus. So the best thing we can do, I think, for our kids is just to find out how God loves us and then love them the same way. So... Andrea gets to come up now, and I am very excited to hear what she has to say. She's awesome. I'm taking my coffee. I probably won't pick it up there. I just like to walk around with it. And my phone's my Bible. So. so I have the next stage in life. Not that disciplining doesn't continue through this stage. Um, and uh, loving, unconditional loving through the stage, but I have the next stage of the tweens. And um, first of all, I just want to say it's uh, really humbling to be part of um, a group that says Lori Schillinger and Lisa Nierman. <laughs> like, oh my. <laughs> Some of my first memories, um, Lori was actually my sixth um, through eighth grade teacher at Heritage. And I remember um, specifically, I can remember where I was sitting of um, Doug having to send flowers to school, <laughs> and which he happens to be in the back, but, um, and all the girls whispering, I wonder what he did wrong, <laughs> you know, <laughs> about it. And then uh, we were singing worship songs one morning, and my friend Ashley freaking out, look what's on her finger, <laughs> you know. So um, it was kind of fun to know her as uh, Miss Van Holzen and now Lori Schillinger. So Lori has most definitely, um, and Doug as well, impacted who I am as a woman of God and as a mother. So it's very humbling to um, stand up here uh, with her. And Lisa as well, we've been with some studies um, at church. And for me, as a young mom, it was like, okay, I would pick who I wanted to watch based on their children, you know. <laughs> and you know Lisa's kids, she's got awesome kiddos. 
Lewis. So um, that uh, has been a blessing to watch as well. Um, so anyway, uh, I am here to share with you about the tween years. And the tween years are defined by ages 8 through 12. And tween is a fairly new term. It actually wasn't even recognized in my spell check when I was working on this. Um, if you haven't heard it before, and if you know me, you may be a little confused because my kids are seven and nine. So one of them isn't even in the tween years. So I have to confess that I stand here before you, not victorious on the other side of the tween years, but as a mom just beginning to enter into these with my son and eventually with my daughter. Um, so... Uh, I claim no expertise or success, only God's words and words that I've read from others, and then some of the beginning first fruits of entering into this process. So I am a researcher by nature, and I am a teacher by profession, and every time I enter a new phase with kids, you can often see a pile of books laying around my house, and this stage has not been any different. I began reading about the tween years two years ago, and the first mommy group that um, the Lord blessed us with uh, I have the oldest kiddo, and so all the other moms would always be asking me about the next stage. So it, you know, led me to start researching always. And my friend Jamie in Texas, um, you know, had called and was asking about when do you share the unabridged version ab about how babies are made, you know, and when do you talk about pornography with your son? And so I was like, oh goodness, I do not know the answer to these questions yet. So um, I began researching. So I have just been reading about tweens for two years now and um, just kind of trying to prepare for this stage. And so I have a lot of information to share with you. Um, obviously, all of this, um, you know, is uh, uh, different research studies and all kids, we know all kids are very different and this may not apply to your kiddo. And um, times, like when it says eight through eight to 12, that might be really different for your kiddo. They might enter it into it first. Like for example, with my friend um, Jamie, even though Abigail um, is younger than David, because she was a girl, she was starting to have a lot more of those questions first and entering into some of that earlier. And so um, she had found a resource, resource by Danae Gresh, and it's called um, Eight Conversations to Have. Um, well, this one is actually a different one, but this one says raising body-confident daughters, eight conversations to have with their tween, but hers was eight sleepover conversations to have with your daughter. And so they were starting it with some friends at their church, um, about specifically about modesty for those um, younger kiddos. And so I was like, oh, that doesn't really totally fit David, you know, boys, how... I mean, they're fairly modest. So, but what else could I find that did apply for me? And for me, two of them that um, were really helpful... This one is called Six Ways to Keep the Good in Your Boy, and this one is Six Ways to Keep the Little in Your Girl, and these are also both by Danae Gresh, and these have, um, these have shaped what I'm going to share with you today, actually, and I've already passed these on to so many of you. Um, as I learn things, I just want to share all that information, so um, feel free. If you want to borrow them afterwards, you are welcome to. Um, so let me start with the research. The, the term tween was coined because research actually indicates that value formation about purity, family structure, sobriety, and other teen issues do not actually occur during the, tween, the teen years. So they're not actually deciding what they think about family structure or some of those teen issues. They're just living them out. So when is that happening is the stage right before the teenage years, the tween years, the 8 through 12. And that, that's when values are forming. So Mick Elaney is a guy who did a lot of research on the brain. And he said that there are two periods in your life when there is an explosive proliferation of connection between brain cells. And that's the last few weeks before you give birth and just before puberty. 
So this literally is an intentional time that the Lord has given us. Michelaney encourages us that the prefrontal cortex of the brain are still forming and that as a mom, we can positively mold by structure, guidance, and discipline. Should I go open this door for her? Sorry. <laughs> Maybe. Hi. Um, I think at 11.15, but you can come on in. Okay. Sorry. Um, okay, so structure, guidance, discipline, right? So not only are our children developing emotionally and morally, but literally their brain is physically growing during this stage. So we don't want to wait too late to talk to our kids about those teenage issues. Jamie and I both wanted to be the first one to talk with our sons about pornography and with our, um, our daughters about sex. And that is earlier than you think. Brace yourself, mothers of boys. The medium exposure of porn is age 11, with 42% of boys ages 10 through 15 saying that they looked at it just that week in one study. It is appropriate to begin to talk to your son about pornography at age 7 or 8. The media gets this. Did you know that 300 movies are made per year? But 700 porn movies are made per month. And just take a walk down the mall, and you realize you have to start talking to your son by Victoria's Secret about this at an earlier age than you would choose to. Um, another study shows that 50% of young men are sexually active and have an average of 9.7 partners before they graduate from college. And the girl stats aren't much better, with 50% of girls making it to 16 without experiencing a sexual sin, an eating disorder, or significant depression. The American Psychological Association assembled a task force and studied for two years the sexualization of young girls. They found that music lyrics, internet content, video games, and clothing are being marketed to younger and younger girls. Although they could find no immediate effect on young girls, the early sexualization was clearly linked to eating disorders, low self-esteem, and depression when those same young girls were teenagers. Don't despair, mothers. Don't go to the guilt bunker if you haven't considered these issues before. There's positive research as well. The research indicates that tweens who are exposed to basic age-appropriate Bible-based value system between ages of 8 and 12 are less likely to engage in sexual activity, substance abuse, and violence. Hope can be found in social science paired with a whole lot of prayer and Bible study. The goal is to create mother-daughter connections, mother-son connections that are so strong. Did you catch that? The goal is to create connections with your tweens. A connection so tight, Danae says this specifically about the girl, and I don't understand all of it, but maybe you do. So tight that no cussing, queen-sized, inflatable thespian, no text messaging or Snapchatting boyfriend, no bong-bearing brainless friend, no miniskirt, no vampire love craze story, no Black Eyed Peas lyrics will be able to come between the two of you in the delicate teen years just ahead. You will be building a strong value system for your tween. So the question then is, so how do you connect? And um, I'm a concrete person. <laughs> I want things that I can walk away with and to think about what can I immediately begin implementing in my family. And she offers six for girls and six for boys, and some of them overlap. And I want to focus on four of those um, with you. So first there, um, we look at it uh, in the context of the, the moral character and the verse um, that uh, is supporting that. So the first one is self-control, and that's for boys and girls. And the verse um, 
from 3 John is, Dear friends, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. Anyone who does what is good is from God. Anyone who does what is evil has not seen God. And this one was specifically for boys. We'll look at, is like a city whose walls are broken down is a man who lacks self-control. So the first um, uh, way that we can connect with our kids is um, is helping them develop self-control. And during this, remember, we're at the 8 to 12 stage here. An important, um, uh, that I learned, an important connecting that I often don't think about with 8 to 12 is play. I think about that with my younger kids, but not necessarily my tweens. And, um, of course, there's more research here. <laughs> but um, she says that dress up, make believe, building things with sticks and blocks help children develop a critical skill called executive function. And this is true for boys and for girls. Once again, it takes place in that um, the prefrontal cortex, which is the exact place that is developing between 8 to 12. And it helps kids self-regulate. Um, so if you have um, a daughter who is playing house and she has her baby and she gets really upset by something that her brother did, she can't start hitting her baby. She has to self-regulate. She realizes she's playing a mom and she has to act out those norms as what a mom does. So in this kind of free play, they get to express a lot of emotions and they have to constantly make decisions of if how they're acting, does that fit this role of what they see a mom doing or, you know, an, a teacher, you know, if they're role-playing a teacher or whatever kind of thing. Um, and specifically, this is kind of showing that um, this kind of free play is not, uh, we don't create this as much in our houses anymore. And there is a study that's called the Great Standing Still Study, and it compares 1940 to 2001. And in 2001, um, a three-year-old and a five-year-old could stand still for zero minutes, and a seven-year-old could stand still for three minutes. But in 1940, a three-year-old could stand still for zero minutes, a five-year-old could stand still for three minutes, and a seven-year-old could stand still indefinitely until you told them that they could move. So um, we are, our kids are, I mean, clearly that they, um, they are losing that ability to self-regulate. And an average seven-year-old is more like what a five-year-old looked like in the past, um, which I just thought was an interesting study. And, and so play, um, and we'll look at that specifically for boys, is a specific um, concrete way that you can help develop more of that in your um, kiddos of where they have to show lots of self-control. Um, it says that they also learn things like taking turns, sharing, compromising, building consensus, which I thought was an interesting one too. Um, but Danae does warn that um, to be careful about which dolls, if you're picking dolls specifically for your daughter, that they play with. Because when kids play with cute, non-sexual dolls, they let their imaginative play loose. They role play, they create. But when they play with seductive dolls, they tend to be more confined in their play. And their play is generally about seducing the boy. So mother of mothers of daughters, prepare to say no and prepare to intentionally carve out time for free play in your house. The same is true for boys. Get him outside to play. Boys, um, when boys are playing, they have to make decisions about limits or rules of the game. They have to choose to abide by them. They have to choose if their teammates are going to follow them. And then if a friend chooses not to play by the rules, they have to make a decision about what they're going to do and how they're going to control their feelings. If our boys don't build up a protective wall of self-control during these stages, then the um, attacks of pornography are much more um, likely. For many men, the struggle with porn did begin when they were a tween. They began to live a divided life or life without integrity. 
The reason why men are more likely to fall prey to this or our young boys than women is because they get a jolt of dopamine, which is the risk-taking chemical which is highly pleasurable and potentially addictive to testosterone-filled males. Dopamine is not bad. It will help your child pursue a life with passion and purpose, but it is addictive. And so what kind of risk-taking behavior can our boys partake in instead? Time outside climbing trees, riding bikes down the big hill, crawling through the drainage pipe exploring, playing in the big game. Those are all healthy risks that our boys can take instead. So we as keeper of the calendars must make sure So you have to make sure and schedule margin for our children to engage in some of these activities. There's one article that I read that it talked about how, um, like the pickup, the pickup game, like in the middle of the alley or the road or the street, you know how that just doesn't really happen anymore, but how many of these kind of self-control, self-regulating, um, decision-making skills happen during that game. Um, and so trying to create some of that for, um, for our boys. When my son was climbing the tree and he was getting really, really high, I'm like, honey, it's okay, it's his dopamine kick right now. <laughs> I'm trying to talk about some of those things. So, uh, you know, helping them still take risks, you know, uh, creating some of those. I think especially uh, my generation, some of, we freak out about those things and we don't let our kids take risks all the time. And realizing that there's there's literally a scientific purpose and development in their brain for some of this, you know, and that if it doesn't get fed one way, it might get fed in another way. And so, you know, you have a kid who accidentally sees something who already has, you know, those uh, chemicals fulfilled, then that's less likely to be an addictive you know, ongoing um, uh, struggle for those kids. So the next one um, looks at um, celebrating her body by punctuating her period and also celebrating his entrance into manhood. So before we get to the actual puberty change, you know, there's the big talk that you have to have. And both, um, you know, like I said, um, Jamie and I both want to do that earlier than later. And for Philip and I, with David, we decided um, that... There was actually a, a father-daughter dance here at church um, a little while ago, and so it was the perfect thing that daddy and daughter were going to go have a date and go to this dance. And so David and I went out for dinner and um, just had a lot of fun and were goofy, and then we went home, and um, I actually used this resource. I got it here at Parkview. It says, How God Makes Babies, and it says, For Ages 6 Through 9 by Jim Burns. There is an earlier one that's 3 through 5, and then there are two older ones too. And I just got it out in the resource center, which I guess I should have checked if it's still there, but I'm sure we can find it in the office if you need those. And um, so we just, we just talked and we went right, we went right through that book um, because I wanted, before the changes were even happening in his body, I wanted to be able to have these conversations because the best thing about these tween years for me that I'm loving is they still love like, they still want to uh, value my advice and my wisdom. Like, David said, thank you when we were done reading the book. He's like, thanks, Mom. You know, like, which my kids are maybe weird. But um, it was just, uh, it. they're really mold moldable, right? They want to know some of these things. And it's not a... Uh, you know, a fight or any kind of contentious uh, argument or anything. So it just made sense for me to do this while he is young and really wants to hear these things. And we did talk about pornography. Um, there was an incredibly high percentage of the first time that kids see pornography, it's never in their own house, you know. So um, 
uh, we, I wanted to talk about that. So then if he's somewhere else, he does see that. And when you think about all our devices and um, iPods and uh, games that kids have, you know, like we keep our I iPod, it does not have um, the connection, the wireless connection, but that doesn't mean his friend's house doesn't, you know? And so uh, we did talk about it. So he's nine, um, eight. So he was eight when we first um, talked about this. And uh, we talked about what would you do in that situation. Um, there's a couple examples here that I want to read to you that are somewhat uh, hilarious, too. I can find my page numbers. Potentially. I didn't have so many notes. <laughs> oh, this one was the sex talk. So the dad's name is Bob and the son's name is Robbie. Bob, Robbie, I want to tell you about sex. Do you know about sex? Robbie, yes, I do. Our hearts were beating wildly at this point, thinking we had missed it. Someone else had told him, and I so wanted it to be Bob. Where'd you learn about it? On the internet. What do you mean by that? Well, sometimes when I play games on the internet, it says sex, male or female. So I know all about it, Dad. <laughs> Well, that's how the word sex is used as a noun. I'm going to tell you how it's used as a verb. <laughs> I thought that was really cute. And then there was one more. I might have to paraphrase it. Um, he kind of talks about uh, with his son, and his son is seven, um, too, when he starts talking to him. And he says, have you ever been really thirsty? And the son says, yeah. And he's like, have you ever been really, really thirsty? And his son was like, yeah. Have you ever been really, really thirsty? You'd do anything to have that. He's like, yeah. And, and um, then he just went on to, would you at that point then go into a toilet and drink the sewage water because you were that thirsty after someone had used it? And he was like, no, Dad, of course I would never do that, you know. And so then he kind of just used that conversation and then talked with him a little bit about, um, you know, looking at women's bodies and, and that kind of, uh, uh, of cheating on what you could have um, kind of thing, I, you know, because this is a seven-year-old. I'm like, how do they understand all these things? So, but obviously it is everywhere. I mean, literally the huge Victoria's Secret ads. So you have to uh, start talking about some of this. Um, and it did, one thing that I really liked on the girls, um, <laughs> which is kind of funny. So I have my pile of books, right? And Elizabeth knows that's the book that we read with David when we went on the, on, um, when we went out on our date. And so she's been begging and begging. She's like, is it my turn? Is it my turn yet? So I've had my books out and I was like, okay. So we had to set up a time for her and I to do it. And I did um, realize that um, I think gender are really different when you do this talk. Because David said, thank you. He like cuddled up to me and we just like read it. And it was like, I don't know, more like science to him. And he was really interested in it. Elizabeth had tons of questions. She'd be like, wait, no, seriously. So you're saying, <laughs> Cracking it. Like, yeah. And the questions kept going and going. And the next day, there was more questions. You know, I'm like, this was so not how it happened with David. <laughs> so I will just uh, throw that out there. It could be my kids' uh, difference in personalities. But uh, I do think there's a gender thing there, too. Because Elizabeth was not so sure. She'd want to push a baby out. But it did talk about... <laughs> um, uh, starting, which we did do this, and I love that we did this. We started with ultrasounds, and we started with pictures of newborn babies. 
And so that, um, you know, because there's a fear factor there for a lot of girls, I think, and pain. And so um, we did just talk about the joy and excitement of that and God making our bodies to be that way um, eventually. Um, and then the one other thing with the girls, too, where it says about punctuating her period, they did do a bunch of girls in a church, and they all, um, like, got together, and they had little baskets for them. Like, there was, like, a heating pad and mydol and chocolate. And, and they did the same kind of thing where they started with all the ultrasounds and babies and kind of all shared and talked together and then, you know, just had it for whenever it was coming. I mean, my kiddos aren't uh, quite to their, their bodies actually experiencing these yet. We're just kind of talking about one day this will be happening. But it's at such a foundation for us to have somewhere to return to and to keep um, this conversation going once it's actually happening. So um, then the next one. Oh, wait, there are a couple of um, pointers that they said when they were talking about this. And it said, um, when you're preparing to talk about sex with your kids, whatever their age, be ready to answer questions truthfully. None of the birds and bees kind of talk, you know, like specific um, it says be, uh, be accurate, be explicit in the conversations that you initiate, be positive. Um, I feel like this is one that I was so blessed with growing up at church here that um, it wasn't ever the sex is dirty, so save it for the one that you love kind of thing, you know, but <laughs> that this is beautiful and a gift from God and this is so exciting. But there are, like Lori said, there's this umbrella of protection. There's these parameters that God has set in place for you to best enjoy this gift. And... Um, so that's a really important one, I think, especially when maybe you think about, did your parents talk to you about it? How, um, what were your experiences when, you know, you were that age kind of hearing about it from friends or whatever and taking those into account too? Um, it does be very specific, talking about erections, talking about wet dreams. Um, as a teacher here in Iowa City, public education, last 12 years in fourth grade, every May we do a puberty video. It's not sex education, but it is how your body is changing, and it talks about ejaculations and wet dreams and some of those kind of things. That always goes home in the beginning of the year, a letter. Parents don't have to sign it, but it always says you can watch this video before if you want to, and I usually only have like one parent ever uh, a year like want to watch it ahead of time, so... Uh, that could be something to think about because it is great for um, whenever that does happen, I think, for that kiddo to have already seen it with their parents and to know what's coming on. And it's not just from a school perspective, but, oh, I know about this, you know, because I've got this connection with my mom and dad. We've already talked about this. And I think that that was my goal with um, my kiddos and why doing it so early, too, is having some of that connection, being the first one to get to share some of this. So when their friends are talking about it, not that I'm sure he's gotten everything exactly accurate, you know, that maybe at least he'd come back to me and talk with me about some of that, too. Um, and so then the next one, uh, Lori has talked about this before, too, at different parenting conferences, which I think she does really well. It says, become the carpool queen, the sleepover diva, host wing nights, or um, have fantasy football parties. So, um, which goes along with these verses of he who walks with the wise grows wise, but a companion of fools suffer harm, suffers harm. So if you don't know who those kids are that your, your kids are hanging out with, then, you know, some of these things are more likely to happen and leave you out of the picture. But if you can bring all those kids to your house and you let all these things happen and you get to know all these kids and you are the house where they want to be, which I specifically remember Lori saying, and you got to have pop and chips and pizza, <laughs> you know, like at that, that that's a hard thing in some households, <laughs> you know, but to have those things ready uh, so that you kind of, you create those connections, you create those relationships so that you have that um, with your kiddos. And then um, 
The next one says, unplug him or her from a plugged-in world. And um, uh, both of these verses focus on the heart issues and the integrity and um, specifically, how do we do that in our families? This one I have for you as a discussion question. I knew I probably wouldn't have much time once I got to here. Um, uh, for you to talk about in your group, what does it look like to unplug your children? What safety nets do you have in place? She gave some very specifics of like covenant eyes or programs you can actually put on your computers. I remember Julie Nee saying the computer has to be in the living room. You know, there goes your fall decorations and you put the computer right in the middle of your living room, you know, that you are developing those safety nets for them. I mean, why do we think a 10-year-old boy can have a computer in his room and be okay, you know, like, what are we thinking, <laughs> you know, and, and setting up um, those rules, those expectations at these younger years, like for us, that's when do you get a cell phone, you know, some of those kind of setting those ahead of time, make it a whole lot easier when they're going then through those, or like I said, our iPod is only um, uh, certain games that have already been downloaded that he can play on there, um, so that, that kind of be very concrete, specific, think through some of those, and then if you go to the next one, the two that are underlined are the ones that we didn't really specifically talk about, but um, I'm sure you could think about that one specifically. Unbrand her when the world tries to buy and sell her. Thinking about, um, you know, uh, where do you spend your money as a family and how she's spending her money and clothes and some of those things. Dream with her about her prints. I love that one. Um, it, you know, so you're setting a lot of these expectations of what do you want your husband to be like so then you're not settling. You know, if you've done this dreaming and you've thought about um, uh, some of these uh, qualities, which obviously, ultimately, they're always filled in the Lord, too. Um, so it sets that part up, too. For the boys, it did have some specific books um, that then I actually started reading, like, during our nighttime read-aloud. Um, it says, give David a give, give David, give your boy a book so that he can discover the real call of duty. And, uh, you know, she talked about specific ones of um, that look about adventure. You know, there's a book out in the um, resource center, too, that's called Do Hard Things that I just started reading. And it's specifically about teens and teenagers who have done, like, amazing things. And, um, and it was written, actually, by teenagers at the time who were talking about that. So that kind of... Uh, uh, one thing that was in that chapter two is that our emotions are God-given. You know, that when our son is angry or upset, that can be totally used for good. I mean, there is a righteous anger. If he sees, you know, uh, someone else being hurt or abused, that should make him angry and call him to action. And so reading through some of these kind of more adventure stories that calls kids to action, I remember my friend Jamie, Andy would always take our kids and they would go out on missions, you know, and they would be on a mission to go to the park or, you know, find the, whatever the nearest thing is because they were kind of creating these adventures. I mean, you want them to be able and to, you know, go out and do these great things and you got to kind of set um, some of those things up. So I did really like that one, uh, especially as a teacher, obviously, of just thinking specifically what books I'm reading aloud aren't just classics, but what are going to spur my kids on to do something to, um, you know, to have action. And then the last one, let him open the car door for you, uh, starting to teach um, some of those uh, character traits, too. Sorry, that was probably really long, and I'm just going to stop it there. <laughs> Don't make me count to three. And grace-based parenting that I absolutely loved in the disciplining stage, if you're interested. Yeah, thanks, Okay, 
So I was joking with Andrea earlier today that I get to clean up. <laughs> That's my position um, at the end of our time this morning. So I'm Lisa Nierman, and I, I think um, it's telling that Loria, Loria and Andrea and I, we have these neat relationships with each other. Um, I think I met Lori's mom, Joan Van Holsen, shortly after we moved here. And so before I even met these two, I was encouraged by, mentored by Lori's mother in my young mothering. And then um, one of the books I'll share um, with you, This Power of Praying for Your Adult Children, was a gift to me by Andrea's mom when our daughter was graduating high school because she knew that I needed to start praying even though Laura was still, you know, in her late teens. Um, not just praying for Laura, but praying for myself um, as I kind of transitioned in my role in my kids' lives. So um, it's just really fun to be here with these two ladies to have heard from them. And so this morning, after Rachel asked me to share um, about just uh, the late teen and young adult years of mothering, I realized I'm in a unique perspective. I, I'm kind of standing in the middle of looking back on my mothering when our children were at home and looking forward to adult relationships with my children. It's, it's a really interesting place to be because I'm still close enough to the just anxiety and um, exhaustion of being having children in my home. Um, but I also have some margin to just reflect on that. And so I'm, that's kind of the perspective I'm going to come from this morning is just looking back. What, what am I thankful that, um, that God has taught me? What am I thankful for? And what are some things that I did um, in disobedience that created problems for me with my kids? and in um, just my own walk with the Lord. So hopefully this will be a blessing to you. Um, I also realized that some of um, what Laurie and Andrea shared already, I had thought I might share some of that material too, so <laughs> I might not have as much to share as I thought originally. Um, I, I would encourage you, um, regardless of where your children are at in age, to just really hold this question up to yourself often. Um, what, what is God's goal for me in my mothering? What are my goals for myself? Um, because I think beneath the trying to do all of the right things, say all the right things at the right time, um, be aware of brain development and um, and routines and I mean all of that's important I think underneath all of that our hearts are really concerned that our children will grow up and have really wonderful meaningful life that they'll feel really alive um, and they'll be open to love from the Lord and from other people and um, to be able to share that and we want our kids um, to live and to thrive, to experience joy and create lives of their own, maybe they're very different from ours, um, that are full of relationship and possibility. And, um, and if we're not careful, 
will get busy with the details of mothering and lose sight of the goal. Um, that, that walking with Jesus is a way of life. It's a, it's a life that's in relationship with God. And as a result of that, it's a life that's overflowing with love. Like Lori said, you know, when, when we're right with God, there's something different about us. There's something, um, there's something more to us um, than we're not, when we're not experiencing his love. Um, and that love that he blesses us with, um, the Holy Spirit uses that to reconcile a lost world. I mean, that's really what we're inviting our children into. So, you know, in our, in our parenting, Craig and I, we didn't grow up in church homes. We didn't really know what we were doing, so I think we were especially nervous about it. Um, but we also had really great dreams for ourselves and for our children. And, and we realize now, we look on them, they're remarkable people. And both our daughter and our son are just really extraordinary people. And Andre's like, look at their kiddos, you know, because um, they're really great. Um, but I think if you ask them, and if you got to know Craig and I, um, our, our response to that is that the Lord was here. Um, I don't have a parenting strategy that's like, if you do these 10 things, your kids are going to, they're going to choose to follow the Lord. They're going to walk with him. They're going to be faithful. They're going to have success. And you know, I, I don't think we can we can give you a list. Um, but I'm here to just really encourage you to take hope. Um, and and God gives us that. So um, so if what we want for our children is this life that's really rich in the Lord. It's, it's good. I mean, I realize this now with my adult children. They want that for me, too. And they've wanted, they've wanted that. They've wanted to see it all along. And there are times I really failed. Like, I, wasn't, I was a believer who was really focused on worldly things. That was not a blessing to my children. Um, I was a believer who thought, well, my children needed to take these classes so they could get into good schools and get good jobs and make money and, um, I mean, those aren't wrong things to desire for our children, but boy, if that is like the end goal, um, I'm, I'm setting them up for a life that is empty, is, is like the world that I'm trying to help them reach. Um, so what I heard from our children, and, you know, we've, Craig and I've worked with uh, college-age students and high school students, young adults now. Um, and what I really hear um, the lives of my children, especially now, asking is, um, do you know how to stay alive? Do you know how to, have you figured this out yet? Um, how do you continue to become yourself even though the world is saying you're not enough? Well, our sons and daughters need to know we're struggling with this too. I think it's a lifetime endeavor. Um, they ask, how do, you, how do you live this life daily living with all the things you have to do and not be overwhelmed by all the suffering there is in the world? By, I mean, just this morning we heard about 
a service for a young family that is going to be burying a child. And, um, you know, my kids are really sad about this. Like, what, what, how do you make sense of that as a believer? Um, our son and daughter are asking these questions about home. How do you find a home? How do you make a home? Um, a place where you're welcomed and there's really good relationship. How do you do that? Um, how do you stay hopeful and creative and optimistic in a world that just seems super obsessed with violence and death and just really skewed relationship? Um, how do I stay open to God? when e These are my believing children. How do I stay open to God when even, you know, on a Sunday morning I might come to church and I, I don't experience true fellowship um, around the Word? How do I find a church where I'm going to find really meaningful relationship? Those are, as a parent, if I'm not really wrestling with those questions myself, um, if I'm not really paying attention to what God is doing in my life, I can't, I, I can't begin to answer or even just respond well to those questions. Um, our son is making career choices now. He's done really well. He's worked so hard. And when we have faced him with him, sometimes the question is like, how, how do I know which job, you know? Um, how do I know what you know, little niche to head into? And I have to remind myself that there may be deeper questions, and the deeper questions might be, how did you know um, what you wanted to do when you were growing up? I mean, he's just 21. I think, wow, when I was 21, I didn't know anything about anything. And yet he's, here he is trying to make these really adult choices, and he takes the posture of this just handsome, competent, um, intelligent young man, and, but I hear his heart is asking the same questions mine is asking, like, how, um, how do we do this? And so, like, our daughter, interesting, um, she, she asked me to look for a hall tree for her apartment, and so I said, sure, I'll see if I can find something for you, and I actually found something at one of the thrift stores. I thought, well, we can fix this up, or I could do, I think what I said is, I'd be happy to refinish it or paint it or something, because it's what she was looking for. And she said, actually, Mom, can we do it together? You know, and what I heard was her, like, three-year-old self saying, like, can I help get ready for the party? You know, can I help do the flowers? And it was like, I, I want to be with you, Mom, and I want to learn about how to do life, like, with you, instead of, like, my just, you know, doing everything and because it had to be perfect. Um, she was still, like, wow, thank God she still asks me to just step into what I'm doing. Um, can we do it together so I learn how to do it, too? Yeah, totally. Um, they want to know about our marriage. Well, you know, um, marriage is hard work. And our children are, I mean, they've lived with us, so <laughs> they're not confused about, um, you know, how we've managed conflict, things we've done well, things we've done poorly, 
Um, they would be great teachers for this part of this morning. Um, and they, they want us to be real about it because they, they need that equipping so that they can move forward too. And they need, I mean, for us to say, well, you saw how poorly we made our choices. I mean, you've lived in this home all these years and you know mistakes we've made and um, like this um, starting with a fifth or sixth grader to prepare for junior high school. Well, I feel like I didn't really catch that at fifth grade, you know, um, and I, I wish I had, but but my kids would say, you know, well, things have worked out well, you know, so they're still willing to take our advice. Um, but I, there's a temptation to just kind of um, encourage them to do the worldly things that will bring success. And um, being transparent just usually involves um, being humble and um, acknowledging failure along with the good stuff. Um, our children now, they want to meet our friends. <laughs> they want to know these men and women who are our peers. And, um, you know, both Craig and I have some really great friendships with people. Well, my young adult daughter, I can now invite into those. And these are women who've prayed for her, loved her, known her since she was a little girl. And, um, and it begins to build this fabric for her as she's entering adulthood that some of us enjoy where it's a, there's a security and being known and known. And, um, yeah, so, so behind some of those surface questions, I think, are um, greater questions about how to avoid living a lukewarm life. And, um, and so with all of that to consider, um, I think it always comes back to, how am I doing? You know, um, am I comfortable being alone with my child and having a difficult conversation, or is that super awkward? Um, am I comfortable being by myself? Um, am I comfortable being with the Lord? I think these are important questions for us to just take inventory of. Um, and... Those are great gifts to give to our children when we're kind of taking some time to be introspective um, because they see us struggling. They need to know that we don't have all the answers. They need to know that this mentoring relationship is not me here having everything figured out, and I'm going to try and pull my kid into this <laughs> having everything felt figured out place. Um, it's more uh, my just standing by the side of my child, um, offering companionship and fellowship and encouragement and, and sharing, like, yeah, I just totally failed on that, and, like, oh, yeah, me too, you know? <laughs> and that can start, actually, like Andrea mentioned, that can start when our children are quite young. So for those of you who have children who may be as young as um, fifth grade even, um, this is a great time to enter into relationship with them that is about more than, um, well, it built on what Lori had shared, that they begin having a life that is ordered and relying on the Lord and in this authority structure of a believing family, and you build on that, we can build on that 
And uh, so I have listed, I think you have it at your tables, these seven priorities. These are from a book that I read. It's an old book. I don't know if it's still in print. It's called Parenting Today's Adolescent. But it's really, um, I mean, and Dennis and Barbara Rainey, they've worked with students for, I mean, probably a long, long time and had some great wisdom to share. And I actually just pulled these out. These are things I used to um, think about mothering our children, but I also realized over the years that they were important things for me to be checking in with myself on. Um, so the first one is prayer. Um, I'm not, am I praying? What's my prayer life like? Is my prayer life like, give me, give me, give me, give me, give me? <laughs> And then do I wonder why my children have this posture of like, you know, I just want all these things, you know, um, as opposed to I want a relationship with you. Um, am I praying with my husband? And uh, are we coming to the Lord for help? Do we know that that's where great help can be found? Um, and then am I praying with my child? Um, and, you know, it can be awkward to begin a new habit like this, but... Our children love now, as adults, to pray with us. Um, it's not strange now, but it was at the beginning. So I encourage you to really pray. And there's an activity that I learned um, at a retreat, actually. It was a Mother's Weekend. And it's, I don't even remember what the Latin name is. It's some old ancient church habit. But it's um, to ask ourselves in examining our day for what am I most grateful and for what am I least grateful. And I find I can do this with my husband, with our children, after spending time with them. It's, it's helped me identify areas where I'm weak, but also like where God is showing me something really good. And um, so that could be at the end of the day, you just review your day. Maybe God shows you something that you need to confess or ask for forgiveness of one of your children or, um, oops, sorry, even of yourself. Um, so I just share that with you under prayer. Standards, Andrea mentioned this too, to plan ahead. Um, the world is really going to throw your family a lot of challenge. And it's purposeful to destroy your family. So I think, um, I mean, that sounds really serious and dramatic, but it's true. And I've lived long enough now to see families destroyed, even families that were really tracking with the Lord, um, really tragic, um, difficult things. And, I mean, planning ahead doesn't mean nothing bad's going to happen to you or to your children. But if you have focused conversations with your husband um, about how you're going to deal with things, then there are a lot of situations that will come up where you already, you feel like, oh, well, we already have that one covered, you know. Um, so, you know, deciding what, when you're going to introduce a cell phone or a PG-13 movie or, you know, how short the shorts can be <laughs> for your teenage daughter. If you have thought ahead on those things, um, that's really helpful. And these are priorities that you can just revisit throughout your mothering. I feel like I still look at them now. Um, just as reminders, because there's some areas where I'm just not as good. Um, so in involvement, this is not just um, being the uh, 
fan at sports events, so I mean, I've sat on a lot of bleachers and in the stands, but it's also, um, it's a heart-to-heart -heart involvement. Like, do we have time with our kids to just sit down at the end of the bed and say, how are you? And then just to really listen. Um, there's a, like, oh, really, you want to talk? <laughs> well, I only have five minutes, <laughs> so... I mean, I think we've all been on the receiving end of that. Somebody asks us how we're doing, and maybe we really have need. Or there's something wonderful happening we'd love to share. Um, so I think we also need to be ready when we ask that question, how are you really, to, be, um, to have budgeted some time to listen. And, um, and if you start this early, then your children can come to you as they get older with really genuine heart concerns, but also, like, sometimes our kids, I feel like we're the only ones who hear about, like, their victories. Um, they're not quick to share those things, but they'll, they'll call their dad or maybe um, text me, and that's, it's really, that's very special. So listen with your heart. Um, and in regard to training our children, I think um, these ideas of setting goals and then being really committed to the long haul. That means repeating these things over and over and over and over, and you think, wow, we've been doing this for 10 years now. Like, is it going to stick ever? <laughs> um, and you have to keep reinventing ways to, um, or finding ways that fit with a new age in your child's life um, for our children to, to grow in character. Uh, repetition, just like for us, like any skill is really necessary. And then accountability, like how are you doing with that? And we all need that too. Somebody to say, you know, you said you were really struggling with this, and I've been praying for you, and I'm just wondering how it's going. Um, we have opportunities to do that too. Um, I, the community piece is really, I mean, I think Parkview does this well, is um, having other people in your children's lives who will reinforce, care for, um, question, correct, the children, and I know my kids, they're now in this position, it's kind of interesting, where they're blessing other people's families. You know, Hunter's got this great um, relationship with, I think they're now seventh graders, aren't they? Yes. But I think he started when they were in kindergarten, helping with that class. And so these, especially the boys in that class, Hunter just loves them like little brothers. And it's because he had that too when he was younger. Um, and Laura, for sure. I mean, she's she's such a quiet person, um, and has a kind of I don't know. It's it's not as easy for her maybe to um, be in a lot of different relationships. But she's really sought out, and she tries to respond um, to these younger women who really need encouragement. Um, she knows that that's an important part. It's been really important to her, and it's certainly. Um, will be important for younger women in her life. And especially um, as young teens. At fifth and sixth grade, it's hard to be really different from your peers. That's a hard time. And as you get older, it's easier. It's like, well, we're just this way. My family is just the weird family, you know, or whatever. But when they're younger, um, it's really great when they have friends who are they're trying to accomplish some of the same things in their lives and their families. You know, the parents are trying to help their children in accomplishing those things. So community is really important. Um, and then direction. 
Like, do our children really know? Do they have a clear understanding of how God made them and why? Are we sharing that with them? Um, What are our hopes for them and their character? I feel like the trophies that the world offers our children, you know, when our kids brought home championship trophies and awards, like, they were really excited about that. Um, And the danger of reinforcing this thing that, like, yeah, you're a really great whatever, um, and forgetting that that thing actually is going to have absolutely no value in almost no time. I mean, you can, at the tennis camps, they keep reusing these old trophies. You know, they'll take the names off, and they'll give them to the little kids. These kids come with boxes of trophies from high school and junior high when they join the team here. And um, so our kids would go to tennis camp, and they'd come home with this huge trophy. And it was like a reused trophy from one of the other tennis players. I loved that. That was a really good illustration for me. So those things are fleeting, but their good character is something that will serve them well. And it's, it's a gift from a parent to a child. When a child is not really wanting to choose that for themselves, it's a gift for us to know into the future, um, look into the future and see that they'll need that. Um, relationships matter. And so helping our children build good relationships and then really sharing the gospel with them in a way they understand it. They are part of something that is far greater than themselves and has eternal value. And um, that adventure is worth being a part of, and especially if they see their parents really into that, really believing it and living it. Um, The world can't compete with that family. Um, And then lastly, perseverance. You know, it's hard. We're swimming against the current. It's hard not to give in to culture. It's hard to say to your child, you may not go to that event, even though all of your friends are going. You may not read that book. You may not watch that movie. You may not use that language in our home. That's the, it's hard, it's wearing. Um, But it's, it builds our strength as mothers when we can just do the right thing, trusting God that he is going to bear fruit in our children's lives when we do that. Um, And then I have this quick strategy for character growth. That is my convictions. Am I checking my own convictions about what's of value? I use, for an example, media. Are you consuming media that you know you should not be, that you know is um, not good for your own growth and character? And then shaping our child's convictions. Um, Can a child ask him or herself, speak the truth to him or herself about what they're doing? Again, maybe media is an example. Um, I need to understand that what I see and what I hear affects how I think and how I live. And our children at a very young age can begin to understand these things. And then there's a testing. So either just by nature of how their lives are lived out or like a... You know, a challenge, there were times that we would just, I mean, I call it a game. It's not like a fun game, but like it's um, just in conversation. Well, what would you do if you're, um, you're at your friend's house and they want to watch a movie that you know we wouldn't allow? What would you do? So you have that conversation now. It's almost certain they're going to find themselves in a situation of that kind. 
and then they've already walked through it. Um, like Andre was saying about kind of sharing facts of life stuff, like once you've had that conversation, as uncomfortable as it may be, revisiting it is not uncomfortable, and it really equips our children. Um, so yeah, with that, I, I, um, it's a challenge. I, I think um, you can go to women who have lived ahead of you. I've been blessed to have that. Um, but God is really the only one who can save you, who can save your children, who can give you a meaningful life. Um, and I, I think it's, it's important to remember that this life as a believing person isn't safe, and there are consequences for making this choice to follow Jesus. Um, it's a really great life. It's adventuresome and wonderful and surprising. And it's the only life, really, that's real life. But our children may suffer because they choose to align themselves with Jesus, because they choose to honor their families. And, um, and then when it comes time to let them go, releasing them into the world, to have them as well equipped with these truths, um, verses that they can turn to, friends that they can turn to, a Lord that they are familiar with and walk with. Um, we want them to have those things in place. So, um, yeah, so my encouragement to you is to remain hopeful and to trust God to guide your journey. Um, and, and in the end, maybe, um, with God's blessing, his favor, you'll find you have a soul friend in your child. You'll find you have a colleague, a companion, in addition to the playmate and disciplinarian. Um, and really, I think that's what God wants for us, is to move into that place with our, with our children as they grow. Um, he wants that for us, and he wants it for them. So I'm going to, I guess I'll close. I have a verse that I pray for my children now. Actually, they'll let me speak it to them with a hand on their shoulder. And I think about Moses blessing the people of Israel. And he uses these words. They're from Numbers 6. He says, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face to shine upon you. Um, may he give you his favor and give you peace. Um, be kind and faithful to you. Give you peace. Yeah, so it's hard for me when I bless our children in that way because I know the world that they're heading out into is a difficult, challenging world. But they see that the world that I'm living in is difficult and challenging too. Um, so yeah, thanks for coming this morning. It's been a really good morning, and um, thanks for hearing. Thank you. Thank you, all three of you, Lori, Andrea, and Lisa. Thank you so much. And they're around here if you have any questions. Um, 
let's move into a time of discussion. If you need to stretch your legs or use the restroom or grab some more food or drink, please go ahead and do that. And would you come right back and move into a time of discussion? You have some guidance questions on one of the papers on your table, so you can use those or um, just go also where the Spirit might lead your table to discuss. I will... um, interrupt in about 25 more minutes when uh, you can move into a time of prayer at your table, and then we'll wrap up.